You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Thanks, team. That was great. It's great to get ourselves ingrained in who we're worshiping before we look at this next person coming onto the scene. My name is Benjamin, and I'm one of the pastors here and have the privilege of preaching God's Word to you today. You can take a Bible. There should have been one on your seat. If there's not one on your seat, there's one behind your seat in the little cubby. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take it as our gift to you. So just take it. If you don't have one, use it. Let it bless you. Hopefully you have a study guide. You should have got one um, and hopefully you brought it back. It's got all eight of our sermons. We're on sermon number three in this series. And if you have questions about the end times, if there's stuff that, you know, you can't find yourself, we want you, to, we want to try and answer it for you. So you'll see a, on the first page, first or second page, there's a web, uh, an email. You can email in your question and either myself or Pastor Mark will get back to you. You can open up that Bible to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. We're going to be there um, mainly, but we're going to be a few other places um, as well. If you have a pencil, pen, you can write in your study guides. They're for you to keep. And so some of the stuff, we'll be adding some extra stuff that's not in there today. Let's pray. Well, God, I'm very um, aware of my humanness and my need for you to speak through me so that I'm not just a man speaking, um, but that uh, your word would come alive. And God, we're going to talk about another man who is not God, but is a scary man, somebody I don't think any of us want to meet, but that some generation is going to meet. And so, Lord, help us to have a clear, um, basic understanding of who this person is, um, what kind of a person he'll be, and give us confidence in you. Just as we've been worshiping you, you're the one that is going to get whatever generation meets this person through it. And then the better stuff comes after. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Revelation 13, verses 1 to 10 with you, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. Revelation 13, verses 1 to 10. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast its power, his throne, his great authority. One of the heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed at the beast. They worshipped the dragon because of the authority he had given the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast who is able to wage war against it? 
The beast was given a mouth that to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name is not written from the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb, books, the life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. The Antichrist will look wonderful and charming. He will be a success of epic proportions. He will be energized by the power of Satan. The world will never have seen the charisma that this man possesses. He will deceive many people, nations. Millions and millions of people will believe in him. He will appear at first of an emblem of reconciliation and of hope, a path to the utopia that so many have yearned for. He will appear as an angel of light, the solution to all life's problems. He will look like a sheep, but inside will be a ravenous wolf. He will look like a lamb, but inwardly be a beast. He will seem like the answer to all the world's corruption, yet he will be full of corruption himself. This is the Antichrist, which in Greek, which the New Testament was originally written in, means substitute. He's a substitute. For who? For Jesus. In the way that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, the Antichrist is the false way. He is the lie. He is the death. Now, you might ask, why would a world or why would people give themselves or pledge allegiance to somebody like this? I want to give you quick six quick reasons. These aren't in your study guide, so I encourage you to write them down if you want to. Six reasons why the world would be deceived, why most people uh, would be deceived by somebody like this. We'll look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 right away. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Now, this is not like Aquaman. He is not living down with the Atlanteans and he somehow comes out and arises the savior of the world. When you're reading apocalyptic language, sea means chaos. It's it's mentioned several other times in the Bible. So this man arises out of the chaos, the chaos that the world finds itself in. Let's put ourselves in the timeline. This is somewhere, this is right near the end of the birth pains, which I preached about two weeks ago, and you can listen to if you haven't already on our website. A great apostrophe, uh, a falling away will occur just before the man of lawlessness is revealed. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And, and we have to understand the culture of the time. 
right? Is that at the time, people will be lovers of money, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. Second Timothy 3. People will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And so simply put, when those things are taken away from them and they no longer have pleasure, they no longer have their, their guaranteed income from the government, they no longer have their pleasure at their fingertips, and, and they can no longer do the things, and somebody says, I'll give it back to you. I'll provide it for you. I'll fix things. I'll bring unity. Well, they give in. They give in and promise to follow him. Number two reason why people would follow a man like this. He will embody the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, he is the Antichrist, but there's this other thing the Bible talks about called the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, let's understand this person. They will not be brash and rude. They will not come onto the world scene a poor spoken man either. They will not spit on Bibles, and they will not burn down churches when they enter onto the world scene. But nor will they be a speaker and a lover of truth. They will be a manipulator. They will be an opposite of Jesus in that way. Now, you may say, well, that's hard to believe. Forty years ago, maybe, as a world level. But now, in a culture that is wholesale, and I mean the Western culture, what we would say the first world, uh, nations that a lot of the people at one time followed uh, Christ or at least some way upheld the Bible as having a special authority. So in a nation like we live in now that is wholesale rejecting it, it's not hard to believe because this person will come on and he will promise to give them what they want, the spirit of the Antichrist. First John chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 tell us what that spirit is. It says, this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. So John, in that letter, is talking about this Antichrist to come. But he says, listen, his spirit is already in the world. And, and, and at some point, it's going to increasingly, people are going to yearn for it and call for it. And he is going to be the fulfillment of that spirit. Now, what would you say the spirit of our culture, our country is now? Is it a country that upholds God's truth as, as the moral laws to live by? Or is it the opposite? Let's just look at the two largest Protestant denominations. When I say Protestant denomination, that means like in the 15th century, in the 16th century, uh, when people came out of uh, Roman Catholic rule and and the Bible was rediscovered, it was no longer read and controlled by a few people, that the Bible was translated into English for every man and woman to read on themselves, uh, by themselves, that God was accessible not by doing a bunch of things, but by faith in Jesus Christ. When this was rediscovered, what was born was the Protestant church. Now, Many in many denominations have gone a long way from where they once were, and just the two biggest denominations in Canada, they would not believe these things. 
They would not believe that Jesus is the only way, that he is the God's son who came and dwelled in flesh and gave himself as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. They would not believe anymore that God's word is the error-proof word of God given by him. They would believe, oh, some of it's written by man and some of it's good and there's some nice moral principles. They would no longer believe that there is a, a hell and, and that mostly everyone's going to go to heaven except for a few bad people. Uh, they would uh, no longer believe in heterosexual marriage or in binary sexes. Uh, the two biggest groups have been swayed by the culture, by the spirit of the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says that he is the lawless one. That's another one of his names. He has many names throughout. The lawless one. So to be lawless means you buck against the authority. It means like whatever is the defined right and wrong, you're like, I'm going the opposite way. I'm lawless. And so the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist is that which says, if God says up, I say down. If God says left, I say right. I want to go and do whatever God says is wrong. And we can see that spirit throughout our culture. And he will deceive not only the masses, but he'll deceive the leaders too because they'll want their power, they'll want their position, and they'll see things falling apart and he'll promise to bring things back together. Number three, reason why people would follow him is he will claim to unite all the religions. Daniel 11, verse 36, the Daniel the prophet tells us, uh, then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt, this is the Antichrist, him, he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, small g, and will speak monstrous things against the god, capital G, of gods, and he will prosper until the time of the indignation has finished. He will first come onto the scene. We know there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be financial collapse. There'll be all sorts of problems everywhere. And he'll come on and say, listen, we need to unite all the religions. We need to just accept that all gods lead to the same place and that we can find unity amongst them. And it's true. We want to respect and speak and treat people of other religions with dignity and honor and understand what they believe. But he will go further and he will say, everything leads to God. Look like a man of peace. He'll, in fact, bring peace to the Middle East, something they've been craving forever. But then about halfway through at three and a half years, he will now claim to be the fulfillment of all the religions, meaning he no longer just wants to bring them in, but now that he has power and control, he is the fulfillment of them. He will claim to be the Messiah of the Christians, the Messiah of the Jews, the Messiah of the Muslims. He will claim to be the fulfillment of all religions. And he will set up his base, as we'll see, his home base in Jerusalem. And ever since na the nation of Israel became a nation in 1948, again, we talked about that, how that's supernatural, how they were not a nation from 70 AD, and then all of a sudden, as God had prophesied thousands of years before, they were a nation again. He brought them back from the four corners of the earth. And ever since that point, there has been chaos in the Middle East. Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East, is surrounded by nations that want to destroy them, wipe them off the face of the planet, just for existing. 
And throughout the last 60, 70 some years, they have been attacked over and over. At one time, attacked by seven different nations, powerful nations, and yet God protected them and brought them through it. It's miraculous. Just their survival speaks to the supernatural hand of God that he has something going on this to fulfill and take place in the end. And when he comes onto the scene, the Antichrist, things in the Middle East will be worse than ever. Jesus says, Matthew 24, 15, when you see, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And now he's talking just after he's talked about all the signs of the end times. Reason number four why people would follow a guy like this. He is so skilled at deceiving and scheming. Daniel 8:23 says in the latter period of their rule when the transgressions have run their course a king will arise insolent and skilled with intrigue meaning in the latter period of of history when when all the kings when the when the years of the earth are ticking down and and the world is overpopulated and the earth's resources are overtaxed and the the leaders have become more interested in their pensions and their power and their position than they actually are in the people and people are like I'm sick and tired of these politicians and the chaos they've caused, one person will arise who will be able to manipulate and scheme and trick most people. He'll be skilled at a level never seen before by any leader in the past. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Lord of the Rings, which most of you have, The Fellowship of the Rings, if you've read the book, uh, there is, it talks about the history of these rings, these magical rings. And, and now the writer was a Christian, and so he, he makes a lot of things, uh, gives them biblical background. And so there's these rings of power that are made, and they're promised to the elves and to the humans and to the dwarves. Have these rings, and you will possess the power over all the peoples. But little did they know that the maker of those rings had one ring, and the one ring would rule them all. And in the same way, these men and women uh, who, who have the power right now will be in the chaos of the world at this time, will be wanting to keep it. And he will come along and say, I'll let you keep your position. I'll let you keep your power. I'll let you keep your pleasure. You just follow me. You just be under my leads. Just give me power. And so the leaders of Europe, Europe and maybe Canada and maybe the U.S. The US will look to keep their positions and they won't ask for permission either. They'll use executive orders. They'll use emergency powers similar to the sort of powers we've seen over the last 18 months that they will just declare. For emergency's sake, the chaos of the world, the stock market has crashed. Uh, we can't get the food across the, the world. Uh, the system of transportation has fallen apart. There's wars over here. We need, just need to put it off, and we're giving power to this person, and we're forming a central union. It'll be something like that. So he'll be skilled at deceiving. Number five, he'll have great powers great powers, not only in wealth, not only in speech, not only in influence, but actual supernatural powers. Revelation 13, 2 tells us that Satan will give him power. 
the dragon will give the beast power, supernatural power. And, and he'll have a spokesperson too, because every dictator needs a spokesperson. He is called, Revelation 13, verse 11, the false prophet. You'll see a lot of him if you read through Revelation throughout this series. And, and with Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they will form what is known as the unholy trinity. There is the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and there is the unholy trinity. Remember, I said they're mimickers, they're substitutes, they're opposers of Christ. So they look to deceive and do exactly what he did, except to a lesser extent. And this false prophet, we're told, does many miraculous signs on behalf of the beast through the power of Satan. Like... Pharaoh's magicians did. Remember when Moses and Aaron went in front of Pharaoh? Remember when Moses threw down his staff and it turned to a, a snake and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's like, I got something. Call the magicians. They call the magicians. Remember and they throw down their staffs and they, they perform like the first three signs, they mimic them, right? But after that, they can't mimic them anymore. It'd be the same kind of thing going on. But it'd be enough to deceive most people. And number six, Sixth reason why people would follow a guy like this. Because humans desire to worship something they can see. It's a human tendency to desire to, to not worship an invisible God who we have to live by faith following and, and, and seek after, but to just worship someone or something we can see. That's why people worship a pope. You ever see people in the pope and they're, oh, they're crying and they're weeping and they just want to touch him, right? They're worshiping him. Like a God. That's why some people, Anglicans, would worship the archbishop, some of them, in the same sort of way. Or they make a statue, something they can see or put on the wall. Because humans love that. They, they desire that. But God says that's not good. He talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 32. God does about the Israelites. Verse 14, he says, but Israel, this is right after they've, um, they've come out of Egypt. He's delivered them uh, from the enemies. He's provided for them. But Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy and plump and stuffed. They abandoned the God who had made them, and they made light of the rock of their salvation. They stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons, which were not God, to make gods that they had not known before. New gods, only recently that had arrived, and gods their ancestors had never feared. People yearn to worship, and so when some person rises up, and promises to give them everything they need, fulfill all their dreams, fix all their problems, provide everything for them, they will worship him as their hearts have desired. So those are six reasons why. Now I just want to, in our last little bit of time, lay out the timeline referencing uh, Revelation 13. The kind of scene that he's going to come upon. Look at verse 1. I saw the beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard, and its feet was like a bear, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And you might say, what is this? If you read this for the first time, you'd be like, this is so confusing. I don't understand. Bears, leopards, what is going on? And some of the Bible is pretty straightforward, like the debtor is a slave to a lender. Huh. 
well, I guess I shouldn't borrow a lot of money because then I'll be a slave to the lender, right? Or like honor your mother and father. Okay, well, I guess I better not talk behind their back and treat them bad. But some of it's a little more, uh, takes a little more digging. And so you've got to go to the Old Testament to understand what the Apostle John is saying here in the New Testament. And so your homework this week, because we don't have time to go through it, is to read Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. 2 and 7. I'm just going to breeze over Daniel 7 right now, but it's going to talk about what John is talking about now. We're going to talk about some animals, some beasts that are going to come up. And now Daniel is a prophet, a man of God, a man who God spoke to after the Israelites had been taken into captivity because they turned away from God by the Babylonians. He was taken as a young child and raised up to be one of the uh, king's wise men. And God shows him some events that are going to take place. And most of them have come to take place except for one final one. And, and Daniel is like an atheist's worst nightmare because we have this ancient book that talks about kingdoms that were to come with such accuracy uh, that they hate it. And they do everything they can to try and undermine it because nothing else could have talked about these nations with such detail as you'll read about in those chapters. But in, in Daniel chapter 7 verse 4, talks about this nation called Babylon who is like a lion. And if you've seen any of the ruins, go online and check it out, of uh, Babylonian statues, the representation, their favorite animal was a lion with a human's head on it. That was like their, their nation, their national animal. And so they have all these, these old carvings and statues and, and inscriptions of a lion, which represented power and strength, with a human head, which represented the king. And so Daniel references the, the kingdom that is at the current time he's alive. Then it talks about this nation that will come like a bear and will destroy the nation of Babylon and will take over. And he gives reference in, in chapter 7, verse 5. He talks about this nation that's a bear with three ribs in its mouth. And happened to that Persia took over not just Babylon, but also Egypt in what is now modern-day Turkey. So they were one nation, the per- per- Medes and the Persians, that ruled, subjugated three major powers, which is what Daniel says will happen. And then he says after that will rise up this nation that will, be, that will have the speed and veracity of a leopard. And, of course, we've come to know that nation as Alexander the Great's Greeks. That's chapter 7, verse Six and Alexander became famous for being able to conquer nations with speed never seen before. He became known as the the man who who conquered uh, nations with the speed of a leopard. And of course, Daniel talks about this man who would conquer nations with the speed of a leopard. And Alexander then imparted Greek culture. That was his goal into all of the nations he he took over. Meaning, if you were under their rule, you had to speak and learn Greek and write Greek and understand the Greek gods. And there had to be Greek temples to worship Zeus and Aphrodite and so on and so forth. And that is why, even though the Greeks weren't ruling in the time of Jesus, the New Testament was written in the common language of Greek, And then it talks about this fourth nation that we know is now the Roman nation, the Roman Empire, which ruled longer and wider than any nation in the past. 
And then he goes on in Daniel chapter 7 to talk about this person, this antichrist, this little horn it talks about that will rise up out of the remnants of the Roman Empire in days past. And this is the only empire that has not yet been reconstructed, but this is the empire in the last days. And so most scholars believe the Antichrist, it's pretty common amongst all denominational lines, that the Antichrist will reunite the Holy Roman Empire. You guys have heard of the Third Reich before, right? Yeah? Yeah, it's a pretty famous Reich, but you'll be surprised to know there was two Reichs before that. There was the First Reich. Now the Romans ruled and then, and then the Roman Empire crumbled over hundreds of years and it fell apart. But then this man named Charlemagne in the 8th century AD, he wanted to re-establish the Roman Empire. And so he fought hard for hundreds of years but never quite got it. He, was, he named his empire the First Reich. Reich is, is uh, meaning for Holy Roman Empire. So he had the First Reich. And then he couldn't do it. And then about a hundred year, a thousand years later, a guy named Otto van Bismarck, you may have heard of the famous blimp called the Bismarck. You heard of that before? Well, it was named after this famous German conqueror named Otto von Bismarck. And he started the Second Reich, which looked from 1870 to 1818 when they were defeated in world, the end of World War I to reestablish the Second Reich. And then he failed, and Hitler started the Third Reich. His job to reclaim the Holy Roman Empire and start the thousand-year reign of success. Because whoever controls all of Europe controls the most powerful area in the world. And, And now we have the European Union, which has no borders. We have one common currency, the euro. The only thing that is needed is a common economy, a common military, which the president of France and the um, chancellor of Germany are already talking about having a European military and one leader to take control. But that one leader won't come until the chaos. Now, people ask, side note, where will Canada and the U.S. be? Because there isn't really talk of Canada in the U.S. in the Bible, which is true. Three possible solutions, scholars say. One, they'll either be a part of this European Union, they'll be taken into the one world uh, power and just they're not mentioned. Two, they'll no longer be significant players, meaning like just how Venezuela about 20 years ago was the most powerful nation in uh, South America and now it's like in shambles and you can't buy a cup of sugar for $100 million and, and it's just anarchy and chaos. They say, well, America and Canada could be like that, just second or third world nations, or they're destroyed because we know there's a period of wars, and so they say maybe they go to war with China or something, nuclear exchange of some sort, and it's just no longer really habitable as a nation. So those are three possibles for where uh, Canada and the U.S. are, and we won't know until it happens. But then verse 3 says, the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. How does he have this authority? Well, Jesus got his authority from who? His father. And the same, the Antichrist, who is a substitute, who is an opposite, will get his power from Satan. Just as Judas invited Satan in, this man will invite Satan to have full reign over himself. 
That's why he's called the man of sin or the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. That's why he's called the beast, the beast. And that's a very vivid name because Jesus is known as the lamb, isn't he? And and lamb uh, means savior of sinners, right? Beast talks about persecutor of the saints, the slayer of the saints. Uh, Lamb indicates a gentleness of Christ. Beast indicates a ferocity of the Antichrist. Uh, Lamb reveals this sort of harmless one, which Hebrews says in chapter 7, verse 26. Beast uh, manifests a cruel and evil character. And under the, the laws of Israel, lambs were the only animals that were good, clean for sacrifices. And beasts were unfit for sacrifices. So there's a lot of imagery in the names of what kind of a person he will be. And then it says, one of the heads will appear to be fatally wounded. But the fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. So someone will look to assassinate, or a group, or a nation will look to take out the beast. And and it will look like he succeeded. And remember... They're always mimicking Jesus. They're always looking like him. That's what Satan's always been doing. He's a deceiver. He comes as an angel of light. He's able to almost deceive some of the brethren. And so he is going to mimic the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's going to look, notice the text says uh, that he uh, looked to be fatally wounded. It appeared that he was fatally wounded, but he wasn't. And so they will fake his death and come back to life, and the world will say, Wow, this is amazing. This is the guy. This is the one we need to follow. And they worshiped him. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? Satan's objective has always been to get worship, right, for himself. That's always been. That's why he was kicked out of heaven, because he looked to be God and be the object of worship. That is what he offered Jesus. I'll give you all the worlds if you'll just bow down and worship me. And notice, because of his work through the Antichrist, people will worship him, and he will get what he's wanted for a short amount of time. That's why you ever see like dictators, you ever see the leader of China or North Korea, they stand up on this podium, right, and and then like hundreds of thousands of vehicles and people march by, and they're all looking at him, right? It's like this act of worship. Like, you're the man, they're saying, right? And in a greater extent, that will be what the world does to this man. They will want to see power, and they will love his power, and he will give them demonstrations of his power. And people in the West, meaning the used-to-be Christian nations, they still have an element of spirituality. Remember it said in Second Timothy, they'll have a form of godliness but deny its power. It's a common thing I hear anymore. When I say, they'll ask me, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Well, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Okay, well, what does that mean? And when I get down to it, when I ask them questions in a very respectful manner, not not laughing or condescending, it'll be like, I believe in a God who approves of everything that I like and who's really here to give me whatever I want and help me whenever I need it, but isn't going to hold me accountable in any way and has no set of moral laws that I must follow. That's really what, when somebody says I'm spiritual, they 
mean? And so this man who will promise them everything they want, who will tell them they can do anything they want, who will have great power, will get their allegiance because they'll have a form of godliness. They won't be communists, right? Like China will most likely not follow him. And and there's a reference maybe of them later. Russia will most likely not follow him because they don't follow anyone except themselves and they won't believe in a god. But a post-Western culture, maybe they will. But those who seek to find the real God, like that's what I say, that's what I think. To anyone who really wants to know God, God will make himself known. God says it in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. If you will seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus says to Pilate, everyone who is on the side of truth hears my voice. I think that's why God is stirring up the Middle East in Asia right now. Because there's people there who are genuinely seeking him. Like not just, oh God, make my life easy and let me have a, have a cool, easy breeze of a life. But like they want to know God and so God is revealing himself in dreams. Like the man in white, they call him, who's, they're writing out scripture, the Bible, because they have no one to give it to them. God is giving it to them supernaturally. Why? Because they want to know him and because he is letting them know him. But I think why the Antichrist rises in the West or rises in what we call Europe is because many people in Europe just want an ABC God. You heard of an ABC God? It's the anything but Christ God. Anything but the God of the Bible. I'll take anything as long as it's not Jesus Christ. That's why Second Thessalonians, Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the great apostrophe, the man of lawlessness, is first revealed, the one who is doomed for destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. And he, so he will sit in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. First Timothy 4 verse 1 says, And this is important for us to recognize the times we live in. Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, the end times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars, those will have seared their consciences. You ever seared something? Like maybe you've seared a steak or you throw it on the grill or really hot and it's cooked on the outside, but it's raw on the inside. I've seared my hand a number of times. I've seared it on uh, machine gun barrels. You know, you fire a machine gun, there's lots of rounds that can get red hot, and there's a carrying handle. Well, sometimes, like a number of times, more than I'd like to say, I grab the barrel instead of the the handle, and it's like, like melted my gloves into my hand once, bare hands, ah, like I seared, the killed the skin on the outside, but it was still alive underneath. And so in the same way, In this last time, Paul is saying, in this last period, there's going to be a lot of lying pastors that come along, like con men, like health, wealth, and prosperity pastors. And they're going to tickle people's ears, and they're going to sear their consciousness. It's all right. You can do whatever you want. God's good with it. You know, God changes with culture. He's really cool with it. Yeah, God's just here to make your life good and, and, and happy. And he's there if you need him, but he doesn't expect anything of you, right? And so when the Antichrist comes on, they're going to be ready, seared consciences 
for this man. Paul also says, Second Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. You hear that? They won't tolerate it. It's like, I'm not listening to this garbage in the Bible anymore. I'm not listening to it. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Does that sound like our times? I don't want to hear what God says there's a holy standard and that God wants me to be conformed to the image of self. And I want to hear that God has a uh, work for me to do in his kingdom. Just tell me what I want to hear. You're a good guy. You tell me what I want to hear and I'll follow you. That's our culture. And the beast will rise up in this culture and people will be primed and ready. And then verses 5 to 7, we're almost done. says, The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And he was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. He was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Notice, God's allowing him to do it. And I'm a human being. I struggle with a lot of the stuff that goes on in the world. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, God, come on. Deal with it. So often I want God to deal with everyone else except for my sin, right? I don't want God to deal with me harshly the way I deserve to be dealt with. Like, don't bring those secret things out, God. Oh, please. Oh, please. Don't let God, don't let people know what's in my heart. But everyone else, deal with them, right? And, and I get it. We want God to deal with it. And he allows some stuff to go on, but it's only for a time. And then the time will be finished. And, and who are these people? Who are these saints that he's waging war against? We know there's going to be Christians. There's going to be Christians because it says there's going to be Christians. Whether they are the Christians that were there and there's a rapture and they're gone and there's new Christians, we're going to talk about which of those is, uh, might be true, or whether it's the same Christians who just go through, I don't know. But he is going to be allowed to wage war against whatever Christians are alive at that time. And that's hard for us to hear but it's only for a time. And so I want you to keep a few things in mind. Number one, stop wasting your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, okay? It's going to be a surprise. And you should read more of your Bible than watch YouTube videos who are telling you who the Antichrist is. Don't worry about it. Jesus said, watch for the signs, and then he's going to come up out of the chaos of those signs. Number two, remember that God is sovereign. Sovereign means in charge, And I have to constantly remind myself of that when I look at some of the stuff going on in the world. When I read the way some of my brothers and sisters in Christ are treated in the world, God is sovereign. He will bring it to a close. He will make all things good someday. Number three, the world will experience its absolute worst before its absolute best. Just as the people cried out for a king like the kings of the nations around and Saul the king was chosen by them, the people will call out for a person who will give them everything they want and they will get it and it will be the worst thing they ever experienced. Then the best, just as God brought the best king David after Saul, then Christ will bring the new kingdom 
and it will be the best kingdom, and we will all experience it. And, and fourth and last, I want to ask you a question. Do you worship the spirit of the Antichrist, or do you worship Jesus Christ? In verse 8, it says, all those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name is not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. Why do we study end times? Because it reminds us we're playing for keeps. Reminds us this is real. In our culture, we can identify as a Christian and it's, well, whatever. I can still worship something else and, and I'm a Christian. But in most of the world, much of the world, to identify as a Christian means persecution and maybe even death. They're playing for keeps. At some point, though, just being a cultural Christian won't be good enough. You will either be fully in or fully out. And so I I ask you to look at your life and say, do I worship the spirit of the world or do I put God first? Because in those days, those who are faking it will fall away says, and they will give their allegiance to the beast. And I don't want that to be any of us. And the remaining Christians will go underground, kind of like the Jews had to go underground in Europe in World War II. They will go underground. But God will provide for them, just as he provided for Elijah and those who were hunted by Ahab and Jezebel. God will provide for those who are here in that time. And some will give their lives as soldiers do. I want to be ready to give my life if the king calls for it. And I pray to God I won't shrink away from it if it's ever put in my place. But what about you? Let's pray. And then Cameron's going to lead us in communion. God... What can we say except would you strengthen, solidify in us a faith that is unshakable? Would we spend these easy days on the earth seeking you and knowing you so that if we live in these hard days and and could come next year, it's going to happen and it's going to happen fast. It's going to catch people all by surprise that if it happens, we wouldn't be deceived by this man. And Lord, maybe there's some that are being deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist right now. I pray, Lord, would you open their eyes? Would you allow them to see the truth? That you are a God who calls us to you, to holiness, to love, to know you. And that's a lifelong pursuit. Thank you so much for the hope. Someday it's going to be amazing. Someday it's going to be awesome. And help us to enjoy and live well in this present day. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to invite Cameron to come up and lead us in communion. And then after that, you are going to be excused to go on your way. Hello. Good morning. So just uh, a reminder to start that Communion is something that we do as as Christians and people that have committed our hearts to Jesus Christ. So if you're here with us today and you're not uh, in that place, you're welcome to sit and reflect, reflect quietly and, and uh, do not have to partake with us today.
So I'm going to start by reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were not, we are not good or righteous. Um, We were and are, in fact, uh, enemies of God, yet he chose to show his incredible love for us and our path to reconcile with us through the death of his son. Our weakness and brokenness forgiven by the breaking of his body and shedding of his blood. Uh, we read in Luke twenty-two nineteen, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember and give thanks for the body of Christ. Father God, this morning we reflect on your grace and your mercy, and that even though we were so undeserving, you provided a path to reconciliation through the broken body of your son, Jesus Christ. For that, we thank you. In his name we pray. Amen. If you want to peel back the first layer there, we'll... Let's partake together and have a moment of reflection. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let us give thanks for the cup. Father, we remember and reflect on the sacrifice made for us. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ shed for us, and with it the new covenant made. In his name we thank you and pray. Amen. Let's partake in the cup together. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice made for us on the cross. We thank you that through his death, we've been spared of your wrath, and that now reconciled to you, we continue to be saved each day by his life in us. Father, we pray that that this would be on our hearts and our minds each day, that we would continue to reflect on your mercy and be moved to live and work in service of your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.